Support for this podcast comes from Home Depot Pro Trades. At the Home Depot Pro Trades, our job is helping you do yours. Powered by HD Supply, we are uniquely positioned to help drive your business through unrivaled access to professional-grade plumbing, electrical, and HVAC products, and innovative business solutions such as our StockWise Inventory Management Program, fully customizable to meet your needs and improve productivity. Our national network of distribution centers and more than 2,200 store locations provide national reach with a local focus, giving unmatched convenience and product availability. We power pros to do more. Welcome to Successful Contractor, powered by CertainPath, formerly Success Group International, a show for residential contractors about residential contractors. We chronicle business journeys, share insights, and celebrate successes in this wonderful industry. I'm your host, Bob Houchin. As a reminder, all episodes of The Successful Contractor are available on YouTube, as well as your podcast player of choice. And yes, you heard me correctly, SGI is now CertainPath. We've rebranded ourselves under a name that we believe best represents what we do for residential contractors, and that's put them on a certain path to success. For more information on what we can do for you, visit our new site, www.mycertainpath.com, or give us a call at 866-299-8505. Today's show is an interview I recorded a couple months ago, but it's one that should absolutely be watched or listened to by all of our HVAC contractors out there. The topic is on the impending federal regulations impacting their trade, some as soon as next year. I talked to two representatives from two exceptional, long-standing Certain Path partners about the subject. Allison Skid, Senior Manager for Global Regulatory Affairs with Remanufacturing, and Ben Middleton, National Sales Trainer with Daikin Comfort Technology. I hope you enjoy the show and take away a nugget or two. Allison and Ben, thank you so much for being on the show today. Really appreciate it. Uh, if you would, for those uh, that are watching and listening and haven't had the pleasure of meeting you, can you share your names, your company names, and where you guys are located? Allison, you can lead us Absolutely. off. All right. Absolutely. Thanks, Bob. Thanks for having us. Um, my name is Allison Skid. I lead global regulatory affairs for the air products at Ream. And so that, if you think about it, generally covers air conditioning, heating, refrigeration, anything that moves air. And I'm based out of Delaware. Very good, very good. And Ben, same same question to you. Kind of share everyone uh, what your role is and where you're at. Yeah, my name is Ben Middleton. I'm the National Sales Training Manager for the Goodman, Amana, and Dykin brands. And I am out of Houston, Texas, originally from Wisconsin. Very good, very good. Well, hey, guys, I really appreciate it. I know this is probably a very busy time of the year for you you all as summer's starting to heat up and, and you know, contractors are needing more and more of your attention. So I appreciate the time. Um, it's, it's unusual you have competitors come on to a show, but it's, it's a pretty important topic, um, you know, and, and for, you know, for, we're getting together for a good reason. There's some monumental changes coming in the HVAC industry. And, you know, you're here to help our more than 400 members. I think we have now in the airtime or HVAC space, that might be 500 now, we lose track. And I know we get lots and lots more people uh, listening and watching. I think we're in the thousands now. So, um, let's just go ahead. Oh, actually, you know what? Before we dig into that topic, my mistake, I mean, I'm getting ahead of myself. I always like to know what uh, everyone's backgrounds are. I think there's a lot to be learned about, uh, you know, how you got into this industry and, and your path into it. So, uh, Allison, lead us off. How did you get in the HVAC space? Yeah, I'd be glad to. So, um, 
I joined HVAC by way of the chemicals industry. So okay. my background is chemical engineering, and I was with a chemical company for 20 years of my career. Um, and, and during that time, I worked with fluorine-based chemicals and refrigerants, a lot of fluorine used to make refrigerants. So that led to a closer connection to uh, HVAC as a primary use of refrigerants. Sure. And of course, the many rules and regulations surrounding their use. So over time, gravitated more towards the regulation piece and yeah. ended up with Rheem Manufacturing to manage that space. Wow. How long have you been with Rheem then? So I've been with Rheem two years. Two years. Very good. Well, very good. Well, thank you for sharing that. Um, ben, how about you? Kind of share with everyone your, your background in the HVAC world. Yeah, real briefly, I've had the opportunity to see a lot of different sides of this industry. Uh, I started out going to school for aeronautical engineering <laughs> and needed to figure out a way to pay for flight time. So I ended up working for an HVAC contractor. Uh, from there, I went off to uh, do sales training on a national level uh, for a company called Service Experts and ISL. Uh, and then from there, went back home, actually practiced what I had preached for a long time, and we started a heating and air conditioning company and uh, was asked by a couple of other manufacturers if I'd help develop some of their training materials yeah. and uh, worked on the worked with the local distributor uh, and then ended up here with Goodman. I've been with uh, Goodman, Amana, and Dykin now for five years okay. in the capacity of the national sales training manager. Very good. Well, very good. Well, hey, again, I really appreciate you both being on. You have a, a wealth of, of knowledge to share, and, and hopefully we'll be able to help some people today with, with your insight. Um, you know, this space changes more and more in every capacity with its technical or communication and, and, and business models. And I know there's some huge changes coming uh, into effect in 2023. Uh, there's some new regulation. Uh, can you kind of outline what that new regulation looks like? I know there's, what, three regions in the United States, but, uh, you know, not all regions are, are built the same. Some of them have a little more that's affecting them than the others. If you wouldn't mind kind of sharing that with everyone. Sure. Uh, so when we look at the, the changes that are coming, there's uh, a couple of different changes that are happening. One is the efficiency standards. And so back in 1992, uh, or any time before 1992, there were no efficiency standards. Manufacturers could make anything they wanted as long as it was going to cool customers' homes. And uh, then in 1992, the Department of Energy decided to come in and said, hey, we need to institute some policies here uh, for two reasons. One, they were looking at uh, you know, our energy independence and making sure that uh, we were able to manage our infrastructure and everything else that we had. But also there was a lot of concern at that particular point in time under both the Reagan administration and the Bush administration after that uh, around uh, climate change and even uh, the greenhouse effects. I always ask contractors, remember if you were in junior high or high school at that time, you had the weekly reader and it was talking about the greenhouse effect and it was talking about the ozone layer. And so yeah. those things were things that we were even learning back in school uh, back in the 80s. And so those were the things that they were concerned about. And that has gradually over time, it went from the 10 SEER to 13 SEER. And then we had the regions that were created uh, when it went for, to 14 SEER in the Southeast and Southwest. And now today we see the, uh, in 2023, moving those both up again. Mm. Um, the other major change though, is they're looking at changing the testing procedure. And I don't know if you remember, Bob, uh, I think it was back in the 
early 2000s, they changed the uh, miles per gallon on the cars. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So if you remember, you used to buy a car and it said 30 miles per gallon on the on the sticker, and you're sure. wondering how in the world did they even get this because the car would never hit 30 miles per gallon. Right, right. Today you buy that same car and if it said 30 miles per gallon on it, you're saying I'm getting 35, 36. You know, this car mm -hmm. is doing it's beating the performance that it has, and that's because they changed all of the ways that they rated the automobiles. And and so the same thing's happening in our industry. They're looking at, okay, yes, you've got these laboratory test conditions. That's not quite, quite real world. Right. And so they wanted to change the way that we tested our systems so that it'd be more in line with how systems perform in a home every single day. That makes and sense. So there's a couple of things they're changing. It's the static pressures. They're changing the... Uh, um, they're changing the the wattage that they assume for coil-only matchups. They're going to change the the temperature, the the heating cr criteria for HSPF, and drop that from 55 to 65. And all of those things are going to impact the uh, the different uh, outcomes of the testing. And so we're moving from SEER to SEER two. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Very good. Um, now, Allison, go, go ahead, Ben. I was going to ask if Allison had anything else she wanted to. Yeah, I, w I mean, great um, uh, summary of the history on the how we got here, because it's important to think about this isn't even the biggest efficiency change that the industry has, um, you know, undertaken, as you know. But there's a lot coming in 2023, given that this efficiency change is coupled with a whole new way of testing and rating efficiency. And that makes it really this beast uh, compounded with some regional requirements that look different than what we had before. So right. people really need to take a close look at what's changing. And then as soon as we get through that, on the heels of that, we're going to have refrigerant change taking place. So this is a big one-two punch for the industry. And, and that makes it pretty unique. And mm -hmm. you know, as we, we're just gonna keep saying 2023, because that's what people need to focus on in terms of the key date, 1-1-2023, and being prepared for what's coming as of that date. Right. So the region that's real, I mean, really, really being impacted deeply, where it's 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 is that western side of the United States, correct? Like they're not going to be allowed to sell certain types of in equipment at all. Where before you could sell through your inventory, right? But now that's not that's not going to happen anymore. Probably thinking of the southern region because that's yes. where the regional, southern. the southeast and southwest is where those regional standards will take effect. So mm -hmm. overall, if you look across the U.S., you're going to see an average of about seven to ten percent efficiency increase, you know, mm -hmm. across across the board. Uh, and it's the the specific amount will depend on the equipment type. Mm -hmm. And when we're talking about this 2023 change with the new test procedure, it's applying to all single phase equipment five tons and below. So, you know, they DOE kind of positions that as residential, but if you think about it, it really could uh, include some single phase three, four and five ton commercial equipment as well. So everybody really needs to be paying attention. And as we said, the effective date is 1-1-2023 and that there's a new test procedure that's going to be in place, but the compliance basis will mm -hmm. be what, what changes by region. And right. the regional standards compliance basis is date is based on the date the unit is installed, where the right. national standard is based on the date of manufacture. Right, 
Right. So, so those people in that south, southwest, southern, they, they really, they, they really need to listen up to it. It, it sounds like it because if they're just, not, you know, not their fault their own, they're just, they're trying to get rid of inventory and don't realize if this regulation's coming through, they could really get smacked pretty hard. Uh, right. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, I guess are you are you telling uh, can, you know your customers maybe <laughs> try and try and order intelligently and and sell through what you have now, or maybe it's worth just upgrading to the the better equipment at, at this point. So I'll jump in. You know, in, it's the southwest and the southeast, Bob, um, yeah. that both have this requirement. So not just the southwest, but also the southeast. So it's both okay. southern regions. But uh, when you you look at it you look at the two things you've got this enforcement um and so that it's maybe a combination of things right maybe it's i'm going to change my product mix because mm -hmm. allison alluded to the fact that you have a national standard and you have a regional standard that national standard what happens to be there is heat pumps and so you could stock up on a bunch of heat pumps mm -hmm. and you could sell those through because those are going to be based off of the manufacturer date and okay. so as long as you have heat pumps in stock in the southeast and southwest, you can sell those through uh, regardless of the date. But it's those straight cool air conditioners that are going to be the challenging part, making sure that they qualify to be able to be sold through. And so when you get into the, the lower SEER equipment, that's not going to be able to be sold through in the southern regions. Right. Where the western region is a little bit stricter than the eastern region is you have also the EER component that mm -hmm. you have tied to that, and the, the eastern region doesn't have that, but okay. they still have a, the straight cools are going to be the big challenge that you're going to have as an HVAC contractor. Mm -hmm. And the, you mm -hmm. know where this really impacts people is in the multifamily space and the new construction space. Mm -hmm. Because let's say you have a job that you're bidding today and you know that that project's not going to start or they're not going to want your equipment until after January 1 of 2023. Right. If we're bidding straight cool equipment, you would not be able to put in the equipment that you have available today. It would be equipment that maybe you don't even have the specs on at this point in time. Oh boy, and, yeah. you know, you're trying to figure out, you know, how do I communicate this out to the builder? And so that's where a lot of frustration I think many of your contractors that are on this call are in the add-on replacement space. Yeah. And so for them, it's not going to be as detrimental, but if they have any of those multifamily projects or they have a new construction contract with a, a builder, these are things that they need to be out talking to those developers and talking to the builders about and making sure they're aware of all of the upcoming changes that are happening. Right. Very good. Absolutely. Allison, Absolutely. Anything, anything, yeah, anything yeah, to add on to this? just so critical that people plan for the implications of regional standards compliance. Um, one, one way that I, I like to try to think about it and keep it straight is to think of the rules as, as three, two, one. So for your, your straight cool, your split ACs, you've got three different requirements. You've got the North, the Southeast and the Southwest mm -hmm. on um, package systems. You've got two different requirements. And for heat pumps, you've just got one because the regional standards don't apply to heat pumps. So the three, two, one is how we've been trying to help people keep it straight. Okay, very good. And and the fines are pretty. I, I did a little googling around the the fines for you know installing improper system. It's pretty steep, isn't it? I'm we're talking thousands of dollars if I'm not mistaken. You guys have any insight on that? 
So, I mean, that's the thing with any rule, right? You got to look at enforcement, <laughs> number one, how are they going to enforce it? And then you got to right. look at the penalty. And every business owner has to determine how they're going to manage risk. Yeah. And so those are the <laughs> things that we all look at. Yeah. So the way enforcement will happen is, is going to be through a hotline. You're not okay. going to have secret agents hiding in the bushes watching <laughs> what they're doing. Yeah. Uh, but you're going to have a hotline that uh, people can call. So what might happen? Let's say you've got uh, a an employee that gets upset with you. Mm -hmm. and you have to know you're not putting in HRI rated systems for that particular region. They could call the enforcement line. Yeah. Uh, let's say you have a customer not happy with the install you did. And like you just said, everybody has Google at their fingertips today. Yep. And they find out, hey, there's a hotline for me to call. I'm going to report this person because I don't think they put in the, the efficiency that they sold me. Yeah. And so there you have that. You could have a competitor. I was just going to say, I can see where this is going to go real fast. Yeah. And you could also have even a building inspector or some government agent that has it out for you as the contractor. And so that hotline is open to everybody. Yeah. Um, I have not heard if there's any rewards for turning people in. So I don't know that it's a fight. Like the Wild West, it sounds like. Yeah. yeah but it, it is something where people can report. And so, what could enforcement, what could penalties look like? At the best case scenario, what they're saying is they're gonna have the contractor come out, take the system out and, and put in a, a system that actually qualifies for the minimum regional efficiency standard at that yeah. particular point in time. And that will be on the contractor's dime to, to provide all that labor and provide the correct equipment to be able to do that. Okay. Worst case scenario, I have seen things or heard things as high as up to $43,000 per day um, yeah. that a contractor, I don't think that's going to be reserved for the, the, the small business owner. Yeah. But there's another flip side to this whole enforcement thing that I think is, is serious when you think of our distributor partners that we have, and then we also think of as manufacturers. Mm -hmm. so the way the rule's written, if a distributor sells a product to a contractor that they know is not putting in matched systems. And, mm. and so how do you prove that, right? Right. But uh, if they came in and said, hey, you knew you were selling this system to this contractor, it wasn't a matched system, that distributor could end up losing their ability to sell refrigeration equipment. Oh, wow. So yeah. there's a lot of, you know, distributors are going to have to think about their risk tolerance. Yeah. And what sort of rules are they going to put into place in order to protect themselves? Yeah. Manufacturer, it, it goes up the chain a little bit further. And sure. so this goes back to record keeping too, which is another part of the whole compliance part. But uh, if the manufacturer is selling to a distributor that they knowingly know is selling to contractors that are not selling installing matched systems, then that manufacturer could lose their ability to be able to manufacture refrigeration equipment. Wow, yeah. And so there's some serious consequences that are out there. Sure. And you know that's where I think we're gonna see, everybody's trying to weigh, how do I protect myself at this point in time? Sure, Very. yeah, very, that's interesting. Allison, anything to add to that before I, I kind of shift? I think Ben sums it up really well. It's a new compliance regime that is, uh, you know, the onus is on not only the manufacturer, but the contractor and installer. For for the, just because of my audience, obviously, is is the residential contractor, right? Service and, and replacement 
how do they go about defending themselves or because you you know this it can be cutthroat we all know that there's if there's a competitor who doesn't like you because uh you know you're you're charging maybe way more than they are and you're still beating them out on bids and, and they don't get it so they're going to retaliate i mean is it just meticulous record keeping or you know what what would you recommend as some best practices for them to keep in mind I can think of a couple things that I would recommend. Um, one is making sure that you're using a reputable dealer, wholesaler, uh, distributor who is up to speed on the regulations. Because manufacturers, we have to switch over our production to the newly rated equipment as of 1-1-2023. But in some cases, like we said, the aftermarket can continue to sell, right? So you need to make sure that those wholesalers, distributors, dealers really know the rules and they're they're making you set up for success um and i would i would make i would double check with them i would question them on that and make sure that how they're verifying yeah. the other piece is that um we're going to be our industry is going to be in the hands of the local inspector the local mm. um ahj right and i would say that if you've got these large multifamily jobs large new construction jobs that ben mentioned reach out to your inspector right reach yeah. out to the person that's giving you this permit make sure that you understand their interpretation and expectations and what can be sold and for how long and then i would encourage prompt re uh, warranty registration as well on behalf of the homeowner um, mm -hmm. encourage the homeowner to submit those some of these you know equipment that are being uh, obsoleted you don't want to wait on registering for that warranty right you want to make sure because sure, it might could it's a possibility it might not be accepted in the future, right? Right. So right. those are those are just some tips I would think of that come to mind. That's really good. I appreciate that. Yeah, Ben, ben anything to kind of put on top of that or we good to go? <laughs> I was just going to say, you know, as part of the compliance uh, list of things that you have to do is also record keeping. Mm -hmm. And so the manufacturer mm -hmm. has to keep records of all of the distributors that they sell product to. The distributors have to keep records of everything that they sell to the contractors. And as an HVAC contractor, uh, they're responsible to have records of every system that they sell right. with the AHRI match. Mm -hmm. So if somebody was reported, then somebody could come in and say, hey, I want to see your records, and they could do an audit. Yep. And so you are required to have all of those records available for somebody to come in, check, and then even potentially go out and spot check uh, based off of the records that you provided. And so, again, that can go through the whole chain because what's the contractor going to say? They may say, well, that's what my distributor sold me. Mm -hmm. And so now they're going to go back and ask the distributor's records, what did yeah. you sell this contractor? And so that's sure. where, again, this enforcement chain is, is going to go and, and why the requirement for all the record keeping that needs to happen. The good news is with technology today, a lot of the the systems that are out there and available for HVAC contractors to use have all of that record keeping availability in sure. the CRM systems that they have available. Support for this podcast comes from Minuteman Press to Pair. Minuteman Press to Pair is your preferred print and marketing service provider, helping certain PATH members grow their business since 2001. Through their knowledge and experience with certain PATH programs, you will receive a fast turnaround and satisfaction guaranteed on price guides, inspection forms, club materials, and much more. In addition to specializing in certain PATH proprietary tools, Minuteman Press to Pair also provides custom design services, as well as templates to help you market your residential business. 
Like you, they're committed to your success. Minuteman Press to Pair is the only Minuteman location affiliated with a certain path partner network, providing member rebates and discounts. Contact Denise today for more information at 877-203-4769. Can you guys kind of share what exactly SEER 2 is and, and uh, you know, what that means for our contractors? Sure, sure. And I know Ben's got some good information on this as well, but we think about it, it's kind of got a nickname, this new test procedure. We call it uh, Appendix M1. So M1, uh, people will use a lot as the nickname for this new rating system. And um, it really has to do with the test procedure that's required by the Department of Energy for how you test and rate efficiency of equipment. And then we, we submit those certifications and that's what goes on that, that yellow label that's, that you'll see on the equipment sometimes. So what is M1 and how is it different? Well, if you remember nothing else about it, I would say remember that, know that it was created in order to be a more accurate representation of how a unit performs in a residential system, basically. Mm-hmm. Um, for ducted systems, the static pressure testing guidelines have changed. For coil-only matchups, the watts per CFM are increasing. So there's little things about it that are yeah. changing um, how this test is run. And because of that, um, it's given a new metric name. So for years, we've gotten used to hearing SEER, EER, yep. HSPF, and now coming 2023, it's going to be SEER2, EER2, HSPF2 for our residential systems. And actually, since we're going to have both units with the old rating system and the new rating system, we're actually going to have to all be comfortable with converting one from the other, um, yeah. and because we're going to have we're going to have both right until that older inventory is exhausted and. Um, it's not quite intuitive, right? You've got, um, for example, um, 14 SEER today will be 13.4 SEER 2 in the new system. So um, in some cases, you may have an efficiency that's going up, but the num- the SEER 2 number could be slightly lower, right? Yeah. And so it's going gonna, it's gonna to take some time. We're going to have to get used to converting this. Mm-hmm. Um, and the energy guide label will only show one rating. So if you need to convert to the other one, I have a feeling people are going to hold on to a little bit of a like a conversion checklist to make sure yeah. you do that quickly. Yeah, that's interesting. Ben, ben yeah, uh, Allison mentioned you had some good a good a story or example to kind of explain what it is. Well, I mean, not really the story, but just the the net effect is so today mm-hmm. we use uh, 0.1 inches of static pressure for the M testing procedure. And so that's gonna be changing to 0.5. So you've got a five times increase on the amount of resistance that's going on that motor. And okay. the way that you calculate your, your SEER is how many watts you know, divided into the BTUs that are being produced. And you know that gives you the calculation in very simplistic terms. Mm-hmm. And so the more resistance that you put on there, uh, the lower your number is going to be. And so that's where, you know, the big change that you have on ducted systems. Uh, You know, the big change that you have with your coil only is now I have to assume what that resistance is going to be because I don't have an air handler to test it. And so they raise the watts from 365 to 442. And so you've got a a difference that that you have there. And so that increase 
uh, that's going to do a couple of things. One, you may have to use larger coils to get mm -hmm. that minimum efficiency standard than you had to before uh, because the wattages are that are, are higher that they're assuming uh, on that particular piece of equipment. Uh, and then dropping, so today uh, the, the, the heating glide starts at 65 degrees and they looked at the whole entire country and they said, well, the average heating temperature is gonna be 55 degrees. And so they dropped that, which changes the whole slope for HSPF mm. and it's a big difference there. And so those are the big, you know, the major changes going from the M testing procedure to the, the new M1. And then, which is a little confusing because we use the M1 to go from SEER to SEER 2. And so it would have made, maybe made more, a little bit more sense to either have an M2 that makes SEER 2 or an, the M1 makes a SEER 1. But uh, so you've got your M1 giving you your SEER 2 rating that you end up having. Oh, man. Yeah, that's a lot, a lot for contractors to handle in addition to running a business and uh, taking care of people and all sorts of fun stuff. So. But, but thankfully we have resources like you two here to help help people out. Um, uh, as we had indicated earlier, uh, you know, there's new efficiency standards, but that's not the only thing that's changing. Uh, there's some changes coming to refrigerants in a few in a few more years, but I don't know about you guys, but years seem to go by faster and faster. So 2025 will be here in a blink. Uh, kind of share with everyone what's what's happening in, in the refrigerant space. Sure, absolutely. Um, this is the other really important topic. As soon as we get used to our 2023 changes, we have another one to prepare for. So this has been a long time in the making. We've seen where global, national, state regulators have targeted the phase down of hydrofluorocarbons or HFCs. And there's a lot of history of change over the years of, from different refrigerants to another. Of course, we needed to get rid of CFCs way back when. And now for the sake of global warming potential, we're reducing HFCs. But the big question has been when, right? If we step back about a year and a half, California was, was really pushing to go low GWP as early as 2023, but we didn't have codes and standards updated, weren't quite ready just yet. So now they'll be kind of lining up with the rest of the states, the rest of the country, at least for air conditioning, as we move toward a national phase down, which is triggered by the AIM Act. So the AIM Act, um, American Innovation and Manufacturing Act, signed into law in 2020, and basically it gives the EPA the authority to structure a 15-year phase down of the use and production of HFCs across all the sectors that use it. Um, so this is actually great that we get this national framework because it's less likely than that states do their own individual thing, and we can just kind of plan for this as an sure. industry. Um, there are still some state requirements uh, considerations, such as codes that we're gonna we can we can dig into that in a little bit. But um, you know, the AMAC basically follows the same phase down structure as Kigali, which a lot of people are aware of because many countries have ratified the Kigali Amendment, which phases down HFC similarly. Um, but this is going to hit HVAC. We, we believe it's going to result in a limit of 750 GWP in 2025 for air conditioning, because that's the date and limit that's basically been aligned upon by the industry and by um, uh, the env environmental advocates. Mm. Ben, ben, you have any additional insight on, on this new refrigerant and these issues coming? 
I guess, again, I'd like to give a little bit of the background, just again, how did we get to where we go, where we're, where we're at right now? And so I guess starting in the beginning, when you look at the beginning of comfort cooling in residential spaces, again, that started out as the wild, wild west as well. There was all kinds of manufacturers experimenting with different things. Two of, yeah. or three of the more prevalent uh, refrigerants that were first used for comfort cooling in spaces were ammonia, uh, you had ether, and you had alcohol. <laughs> So those were three great refrigerants. They, if you took it them in terms of uh, efficiency and the amount of BTUs per pound that each of those can carry, they do a phenomenal job. Sure. Uh, they just had a little hiccup. There were fatalities associated with them. <laughs> I was gonna say, they're not very good for human beings, yes. <laughs> so the federal government came in and said, hey, there's two things that we're going to, to start watching. Number one is toxicity. And so one of the terms that you're gonna hear is for toxicity, a is going to be that it's safe in terms of toxicity and B it's not safe it, in mm. very simple layman's terms. Uh, and then on the flip side of it, so the ether and alcohol, they weren't toxic, but the challenge you had with them is there were fires, property damage that was caused. And in True. some cases, fatalities with those fires that were caused by these refrigeration systems. And so they looked at flammability. And so you have one, which would be considered non-flammable. You have 2L, which would be slightly flammable. You have two, which is flammable, and three, which is highly flammable. Mm -hmm. And so one of the big misnomers that I keep hearing in the industry, and I, I just wanna set clear, we are not moving to propane, um, because I keep hearing this from a lot of contractors out there. Interesting. Um, it is not propane that we're using in systems. Propane would be highly flammable and that's not the refrigerant that we're, we're moving to. But I do, as I go around and talk to a lot of groups, um, I bring up refrigerants and they say, we're moving to propane. And no, that's, that's not where we're going. But uh, so the scale is important because when we looked at being able to hit this lower GWP, uh, where we ended up being is an A, so we're, we're still safe on the toxicity, toxicity side, but it's a 2L which is in that slightly mm -hmm. flammable. And Allison, I don't know if you want to talk any bit about, you know, the flammability and because that's a concern for a lot of contractors right now. Yeah, sure. yeah, absolutely. Um, and, you know, I think it's a great point, right? It, A2L is that ASHRAE designation. It's a scientific determination that thinks about, um, you know, flame speed propagation. And so, just conceptually, your A3s, like your, you know, propane, this is what you could like put in a blowtorch, right? And <laughs> and sustain a flame. Your A2Ls, they're difficult to ignite. They're difficult to sustain a flame. It takes a lot more concentration to get to that flammable uh, level where it could ignite in air. So it's a, it's it's several degrees of magnitude less flammable than the A3. Um, you know, I think when we're talking about will A3s ever show up in air conditioning, um, you know, when we're talking about our traditional stationary air conditioning that's in homes, your split systems, um, this this is, we're not prepared yet to go to an A3 type of system. Could you see that in like a window, you know, room air conditioner, window air conditioner? Possibly, right? You're, they're being used in refrigerators today, but beverage coolers, things like that. Small home appliances, they're very self-contained, right? When you're talking about split split systems, you've got refrigerant piping and joints and all of these things, right? That's what's going into this determination of safety. That's what our codes and standards were updated to look at 
and really they got to a great place on A2Ls with um, updating the, the main UL listing standard for air conditioning, which is the UL 60335-2-40. The third edition now contains um, the references that are needed for the A2L refrigerants, and there's even a fourth edition that's that's in process right now. Um, the EPA has the, uh, they, they qualify all alternatives um, for safety before approving manufacturers to use them. So through the EPA SNAP office, this significant new alternatives um, program, they have through a rulemaking permitted a lot of the refrigerants that are good candidates as replacement for 410A. At, you know, they've approved those, so we're, we're good to go there. I think what we're waiting on now is for the incorporation of that information from the safety standards to get into the building codes, because that really tells you what um, you know a code inspector should be approving and looking for when they see an installation in a home or business. Interesting. It's a lot. It's a lot to take in for for contractors, and, and at least they got a few more years until that one. <laughs> so right. Just yet. Right. Uh, well, hey, you two, I really appreciate um, your your time today. Just kind of been wrapping up. Uh, what key takeaways would you, you know, like to make sure our, our members and non-members that are, are listening and watching uh, take from this interview? What would you say? Well, I'll just, I'll say that if you are in the South region of the United States, right, the Southeast or Southwest states, and you're preparing for 2023, um, realize that it's gonna be more complex for you um, look at your inventory planning really carefully and your installation compliance, right? Because that is something that everybody in the South is going to have to be keenly aware of come 2023. So that would be one main key takeaway that I would offer. Sure, sure, uh, absolutely. Ben, any anything on your side? What I would say is make sure that you are in close contact over the course of especially this next year with your manufacturer, your distributor, uh, I know all of the manufacturers and distributors are putting a ton of great information out and mm -hmm. it would be smart to uh, to pay attention to it more than maybe you have in the past. I know everybody's inundated with emails all the time, sure. but uh, there's a lot of product marketing news that's going to be coming out on the new equipment, the new model numbers, the new ratings, and in all of these other things that you need to pay attention to so that you're better prepared for 2023. I think the contractors that pay attention and have the facts are going to do just fine. Those that uh, wake up one morning and the whole entire world <laughs> is changed, it's going to be a little bit difficult to, to sure. adapt. And so we're all working hard to get information out as much as we can. Uh, so work with your local distributor and manufacturer to, to stay on top of all the changes as more and more information comes out. Right. Good stuff. Yeah, it's just like the, the business side, you know, the more prepared you are at strategic planning and, and getting ready for the next year, the better off you are. And it sounds like that's the same same way in terms of these uh, these changes as well. So, uh, exactly. Allison and Ben, thank you so much again for all your time. Oh, go, go ahead, Allison, please. Yeah. Oh, I was just going to say, people don't have to do this alone. Um, most yeah. ma equipment manufacturers now are offering some type of regulatory summary or guide or online, sure. you know, or information or training. So seek it out. You don't have to figure this out by yourself. You know, yeah, and no, but and thanks to you, Bob, for hosting us for this because it's important to get this information. You said it in the beginning. You've got competitors coming together to try to help prepare the industry for what they're going to see um, yeah, because it's so important. Yep. No, we're all in this industry together, right? So let's all get better together. So, 
Well, good stuff. Well, hey, guys, again, thank you so much for your time. I know you're, you're both crazy busy, so it means a lot that you took some time with me. I appreciate your time. Thank you. All right, guys, have a great rest of your day. I'll talk to you later. All right, Bob, thanks. You're welcome, very welcome. All right, bye-bye, right, guys, good job. That's Ben Middleton, National Sales Trainer with Daikin Comfort Technologies, and Allison Skid, Senior Manager for Global Regulatory Affairs with Remanufacturing, talking impending federal regulations impacting the HVAC industry. I hope you enjoyed today's show. If so, please like and subscribe on YouTube. If you're on your favorite podcast player, please leave us a five-star review. The two seconds you take to leave a review will help other success-minded contractors like you find us and hopefully get a little bit better, which elevates our entire industry. And please join me for future episodes. This has been The Successful Contractor, powered by CertainPath. Support for this podcast comes from LeakSmart. LeakSmart is the world's most intelligent and reliable leak and flood protection system. It detects water links instantly, automatically shutting off a home's main water supply in five seconds or less to prevent any further damage and notifies homeowners and installers immediately. Whether on its own or integrated into an existing smart home system like Nest, LeakSmart makes it easy for homeowners to protect their entire home from water damage 24-7, even if the internet and power go out. Provide your customers with the best defense against catastrophic water damage and install a LeakSmart system today. To learn more, visit us at leaksmart.com.